Welcome to Circuitist Conversations with Bill and Dan, episode 41. 41! For, that's right, for June 13th, 2011. Monday. Yes, it is a Monday. Uh, and today we will be talking about monitors, because we actually had a request for this. Yes. Somebody requested something, Dan. On Twitter. What's wrong with them? I don't know. They want to know stuff. Uh, and apparently, else? apparently we're going to tell it. Okay. Well, we'll give uh, our opinions. I, I do have a title for this one before we even start. Oh, do you want to give it away right now? Yeah, why not? Okay. I, I think we should call it Monitor. I hardly know her. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's really bad. I know. That's awesome. I know. Anyway, so we're going to talk a little bit about monitors, uh, technology used in them, companies that make good ones, why you should buy one thing over the other, problems people have, mistakes they make, why their prints always look like ass, that kind of stuff. <laughs> sure. Sounds like fun. Well, I think it's the kind of stuff that a lot of people don't talk about, but is actually pretty important. It, it, it's funny. The amount of people who come up to me and they're, they're going to spend thousands of dollars on their computer mm -hmm. or th tens of thousands of dollars on photo gear. And then they're editing on a MacBook laptop, you know? Yeah. It's like, how do you have any idea what you're looking at? You have no idea what you're looking at. Well, you're making, you're making it sound more dramatic than it really is. Well, if, if you're handing it off to people who are printing it, there, you know, there's, and then, you know, they're surprised because what comes back is not what they thought was there. There's a reason for that. You know, your monitor is like your glasses onto your data. So, you know, you got to get the right prescription. That's, that's a good way of putting it. That was a Dr. Philism right there. <laughs> um, I, I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and say that, uh, Apple's display products, uh, aren't as bad as you're portraying them to be. Um, the regular, the low end MacBooks are oh, are yeah. pretty bad. Um, yeah, I haven't really spent any time on. They one used those. to be worse. Um, I'll, I'll I, here, I will personally vouch for the MacBook Pro line, the the Cinema Display line, um, and then I got to say the latest round of iMacs, the LED based iMacs. Man, those things look great. Yeah. The the okay. Well, we'll get all into that. But I would I would say just off the bat, I think that they are good, but I mm -hmm. don't think they're nearly worth the money they're. If you're spending a thousand dollars on monitor, you can get a, do a lot better than an Apple monitor. Yeah, that's that's a I can't argue with that. And I think that's and I think that there's a lot of Mac people who automatically say, "Oh, I'm buying this thirty five hundred dollar Mac Pro. Oh, I'll get a Cinema Display because then it's all Mac and then it's all pretty and Mac great monitors." And it's like, well, they're they're good monitors. They're not great monitors. Um, they're the iMacs. You're right. The twenty seven inch iMac has a nice display in it. Not mm -hmm. a not a pro level display, no. but if but if if you're only spending two thousand dollars on your computer, it's a very good display. Definitely. Um, so why don't we back up for a second? Uh, okay. Back in the day, what, what was like? <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Was that a real laugh or a fake cough? <laughs> no, this is coughing. I'm choking on water. You shouldn't do that. I know. You're gonna edit this. You gotta cut that one no, out. No, that's staying in. <laughs> Yeah. You all right? Woo. I'm okay now. Okay. Uh, don't drink and drive, kids. It's <clears> true. <throat> oh, my. <laughs> uh, right. So, Dan, what was the last time you had a CRT? CRT? Jesus. Um, I'm going to say 2003, maybe? 2002? 2003, 2002. Okay. Yeah. Ish. Um, yeah. Just because uh, I didn't have a lot of computers at home, and most of the computer I, I've been primarily a laptop guy. Yep. So I did have a, a Power Mac G4, and before that, something else. Um, and I do remember the first CRT that I bought. It was a Sony uh, Trinitron, sure, uh, seventeen inch. You know the the T. I think it was. There's an E and a T or something like that. I cannot remember. But it, you know, it was like the the beige color and yeah. had VGA connectivity, and so, so it was a great. Great looking display. Some decent hotness in there. It was good. I remember it was like twelve hundred bucks or sure. something like that too. Yeah, Not those cheap. were expensive. Uh, I, you know, I think my last CRTs. Uh, for those who don't know, cathode ray tube, uh, the old monitors that look like big TVs. Uh, yep. That uh, does anybody actually? Does Sony still make a Trinitron display? Mm, they must have it somewhere. They must be somewhere. You know. I mean, I bet you there's still some that are made for broadcast usage. Maybe. 
somewhere. I mean, I I, I know that the high, Sony's high end broadcast gear is all panel, flat panel based these days. Wow, it's so weird. Anyway, um, so from the beginnings of the beginning, so since the 30s or whenever TV was popularized in the 40s, maybe. Mm, um, yeah, that's about right. People have been using these cathode ray tubes, which have a beam of electrons that shoot against phosphors on the back of the screen. And there are electromagnets that control where that beam points and it scans left to right and does it like a typewriter all the way down and uh, draws your image. Um, It used to be that if you were uh, doing high end commercial work and stuff, it was that one Sony, the artisan, was it called? Uh, there was one Sony monitor that was like sort of the one everyone used. And this was back at like, you know, the turn of the century. <laughs> um, and it was sort of like, this was back when LCDs were not good. And people who were serious color people and whatnot kind of scoffed at LCDs saying they were crap and blah, 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 blah. And like their color was terrible and the angles and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but it's funny because nowadays, looking back, it's very much similar to the analog to digital recording kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, there are problems with digital. Yes, there are problems with LCDs. But there's so many things, the geometry and overscan and all that kind of stuff with CRTs, which you don't have to de- deal with at all. You know, yeah. sort of like wow and flutter and tape stuff, you know. Yeah, yeah, um, it's true. And or, tuning, like you had to like tune them. They have yeah. little... Higher well, ones had little like screw, like ex- externally controllable screws for the, you know, for the what would the what they call it convergence? I think yeah, because you're trying to converge the three beams onto the yeah. same pixel at the same time, right? So I mean, yeah, and this is the kind of stuff, that, and these things would drift over time, and mm-hmm. they would uh, oh, and you had to degauss your yeah. display with and, the with the magnet, and they would them. darken over time. Yeah. Um, So, you know, there's all kinds of things that were going on. Now, I remember my first LCD that I ever used that was like serious. I had uh, an SGI 1600SW, which was a 17-inch widescreen. No, those are cool. I I remember those had a really cool base that allowed you to rotate it. Yeah. And, and you know, it was really flexible with the nice height and tilt adjustment. This was, at the time, probably the coolest monitor you could buy. Those and, are great. And it was like $3,800 new. <laughs> yeah. And for a 17-inch screen, that was uh, 1600 by 1024, I think. Yeah. Um, and I remember, uh, I didn't buy it at first, but I remember coveting it. When the <laughs> SGI workstations came out, they you know put out that monitor too. And I was like, oh, God, I totally want that screen. It was just yeah. badass looking, you know? Well, dude, all of SGI's stuff back in the 90s was just oh, kick-ass, sexy. man. Yeah. 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 It, it was sexier than the Apple stuff at the time. Oh, totally. Well, it was yeah. also twice and four times as expensive. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so I remember, though, about a year and a half later, the price of it had come down to where I think I bought one for fifteen or $1,600, mm-hmm. which is still obviously a lot of money, but not the 35 that it was the year and a half before. Um, and I sort of said, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to get this cool little monitor. Now, before that, I was using dual 22-inch Mitsubishi CRTs. It sounds right. Yeah. It sounds they, cool. Those things were huge. Oh, yeah, dude. They were like as deep as they were wide. I mean, yeah. they're like giant cubes. Yeah. And it's funny because I, I <clears> remember <throat> buying my second one on a whim. I was kind of flush with cash one night, and I was on uh, – what is the uh, – man, what was the site – there was a site, not Amazon or any of those, but there was another one that people used to go and they used to have free overnight shipping. Uh, Do you know what I'm talking about? Mm-mm. Anyway, so... What, what year was it? Uh, this was mm, 2000, sometime around then. Hmm. Anyway, hmm. I remember going on the site and it was, you know, say $1,100 for the monitor and I ordered it at 11 o'clock at night and it was free overnight shipping and it <laughs> showed up from Ohio the next morning. Hmm. <laughs> Sweet. At like nine o'clock, like literally eight hours later, the monitor went from Ohio to my house in Brooklyn. Instant gratification. And I remember thinking, my God, that's insane. Like just that's the logistics cool. involved in doing that, you know? Yeah. Um. So I, I used that SGI for, I don't know, like three or four, three years, say. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, uh, it was still good. And it's funny. I boxed it up in the closet and I had it in my closet up until about two years ago. Hmm. Uh, cause I was always like, I just can't sell it. It's just too 
cool you know <laughs> um even though i wasn't using it you know and it was way low res by that time and all the rest did of that it. did that one have that weird sgi proprietary display connector that okay. was like yes so it did however they made a box this add-on right. box that right, you right, could right. do dvi or vga or, VGA, or right. some other weird standard that is now defunct as well Probably BNC, like the whole like no, three, wasn't you know, that. The three or four, three or four channel. It no? was another connector, another sort of multi-pin <clears throat> regular connector. Mm. Anyway, yeah. So there was this, there was this box which was also, I think it was called a multi-link box. Mm-hmm. So this was like actually part of the deal, mm-hmm. and I had it in the closet, and I used to hook it up by a DVI, and it was like really beautiful. And I remember when I installed Windows each time, you had to install. Uh-huh. Um, the drivers because it was such display. a weird it was such a weird <laughs> resolution at the time it sure. didn't know what to do with it you know sure um, and i remember like by the time you actually turned it on and got it working the right way it was like ah look how perfect it you know yeah it, yeah. it was so hot um anyway so i used this monitor dark. i know i used this monitor for years i had it in the closet and then a few years ago i was like man i gotta sell some of this stuff and i put <clears> it up <throat> and i think i sold it for four hundred dollars hmm like, That's not bad. Because apparently there's like collectors of this thing. Oh, I believe that. And the multi-links boxes are actually in somewhat serious want because everyone's got the displays with that weird-ass connector, but they don't have the weird adapter in the middle to be able to use it on anything new. Mm. Um, so it was it was really kind of fun to use this thing. Anyway, so after that, I think I moved up to, I don't know, I had a, a Dell. Oh, I had a 21-inch Samsung is what I went up to. Um mm. Which actually is at your house. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, which we'll get to in a minute. And then I went to a Dell, and then I went to an ISO, and then I went to the NEC I have now. Now, LCDs have improved dramatically in the past 10 years. Oh, yeah. Um, they used to not be very good. No. no you, used to, you, used to, you, have to, you used to have to like deal with dead pixels. Yes. Well, dead pixels, yeah. that's that's a fi- I mean, do you have any dead pixels on your current screen? Uh, I haven't seen a dead pixel in a really long time. Yeah, but it used to be that, you know, uh, a a monitor was still good if it had three dead pixels as long as they weren't within two inches of each other on the screen and blah, yeah. blah, blah. Yeah, no, that's true. There was, there was, Apple used to have a huge article about, like, how to deem whether or not, an, uh, you know, a display was, re- you know, warranted a replacement or not based yeah. on that. <clears throat> and was it usually, I mean, were you ever, uh, were you working as a genius at the time? Well, I mean that 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 particular article article was I think it wasn't a customer facing article, so I, I remember reading it. Uh, you know, in, it was an internal article. Um, so yeah, I think I was. Oh, I, actually, but I've had access to that stuff because r- repair people. You know, it, as long as you're repair certified, you could still access. There's like three levels of of Apple knowledge base articles. There's public facing stuff. There's stuff that uh, service providers can access. And then there's stuff that only Apple can access. And I can't remember if that particular article was, you know, all the way deep or whatever. But anyway. You know, I mean, I I understand it from the manufacturer's point of view. They can't guarantee that everyone's perfect or else these things would cost twice what they cost. Sure. Um, But then the other flip side of that is that at the time, if you bought – what was the first – was it 21 inches or 22 inches, the first cinema display? 22? Widescreen? Well, the first one that made a big splash was the – it was I think it was The one that came out with the Cube. I thought it was smaller <sighs> than 24. Well, like, they, know, there was the, a little one. There was a little one and a big one. No, no, no. Before that, there was one that tilted back. Like it yeah, wasn't like, not a, it was like an easel. Yeah, not an aluminum two. one. It was like a plastic no, they're, one. They were plastic and had the weird little, you know, rounded feet. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, th- th- I think I want to say that there were a pair of those, uh, a big one and a little one. Okay. Um, and I want to say the big one was 24 inches and that blew everyone away. Like just like, whoa, 24 inches. That's freaking yeah. huge. No, it was, it was the one that everyone wanted at the time. Yeah. Uh, apparently, okay. The first one was twenty-two with an ADC connect, connection. Mm-hmm. Uh, that sounds right. Then they replaced it with a twenty-three, the mm-hmm. Cinema HD display in two thousand two. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you know they then they had the twenty-inch and then they had the the twenty-four-inch, um, and then the thirty-inch, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, the point is, these monitors have gotten a lot better and they've gotten bigger and they've gotten more high res. <laughs> Now there's a Excuse lot to think about when thinking about buying a monitor. Um, mm-hmm. Most of the low end monitors use what's called TN panels, mm-hmm. which uh, uh, which stands for twisted pneumatic. And basically, what it is, is that there's there's a backlight, there's a light behind these elements on the screen, and uh, 
the TN when these, there's these little tiny like filaments on the screen, and when they get electricity on them, they kind of twist, which is the twisted part. Mm-hmm. They twist to let the light show in from the back. Um, these are cheaper panels. TN mm-hmm. panels are the cheaper panels, the kind of thing you find in the uh, in the MacBooks. And even the MacBook Pros are still TN panels, except they're really good TN panels, I think, mm. at this point. Are they are they actually now IPS? I don't think so. Because I, I, keep, I keep getting different information. Anyway, the original one. So if you have a laptop where if you turn your head to the side a few inches, the color yeah. shift or it gets dark or, yeah. you know, you and your girlfriend can't lie in bed and watch a movie together because you know, you can't have the angle right for right. both of her screens. You have a TN panel, right? These screens are not the best to be using for serious photo editing and that kind of stuff. Because when you move your head, you're shifting the color and all the rest of it. You also, uh, most of these panels can only actually do six bit color per, uh, RGB channel. So it's 18 bits total. So mm. they can't show, uh, all like 16 million shades that a, a real screen should show. Mm-hmm. Um, so they dither in, in those shades that they can't show. Um, so these are all like serious problems. Now, the one advantage they have for, um, people who are gamers is that they tend to, they have very, very fast times. The, uh, uh, what do they the call refresh it? Rate. The refresh rate. I think they call it the refresh rate. Is that what they call it? A response so. time. Something like that. Or latency. Yeah. I don't know. Something like that. So their, pretty... their response times are like down in the five, four millisecond range. So yeah. in some ways you can actually, if you can't figure out what kind of panel it is, if you look at the uh, at the response time, if it's down below 10 milliseconds, it's probably a TN panel. Mm-hmm. If, if, if the screen costs less than, say, $300, it's almost mm-hmm. guaranteed to be a TN panel. Right. Now, the newer TN panels are a lot better than they used to be. Sure. But if you're like seriously into this and you're thinking about buying a monitor, you don't want one of these. Um, no, not for, not if you're doing color critical. Exactly. Work. Yeah. Um, so TN panels type one, the second kind major kind, there are a bunch of sort of minor things, but most of them maybe coming down to these two is called uh, our IPS panels or in plane switching, uh, mm-hmm. which, uh, Hitachi came up with back in the nineties and they were really, really expensive at the time. And it involves two, crystals that 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 uh move parallel to the plane so they 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 turn differently and the practical upshot of it is that you need a brighter backlight to get through because it doesn't transmit as as much light through but Mm -hmm. the good part about it is that the angles are a lot better so you can shift your head left and right the color doesn't shift um and uh the overall uh, uh it can show many more colors and the color accuracy is much higher so if you're into color accuracy and that's what you're trying to do in photography, you want an IPS panel. Now, lots of, it's funny because there aren't actually that many companies who actually make these panels. Honestly, it really comes down to Hitachi and LG are the two like main super panel people, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. um, which is actually kind of funny how these things it's, it's sort of uh, uh so almost no matter what, screen you're buying you're probably buying an lg or a uh, uh or a mitsubishi uh did i say mitsubishi the first no, time said, hitachi hitachi and lg yeah hitachi and lg panels you're probably buying one of those no matter what you buy which is just kind it's, of funny to me well it's not unlike uh digital sensors and cameras man yeah. i mean oh absolutely yeah it's either so, canon so or sony pretty much yeah now the the thing is is that if you could have the same panel from this from different companies and it could be a completely different beast because this is sort of like, um, hmm, what's that? What's a good illusion? Uh, cars engines. Are you a magician? No. Illusion. <laughs> You're going to make an illusion. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, so the point is that like Apple, there was a time at which Apple and Dell used the same 24 inch panel. Okay. Exact same one for the cinema display and for whatever the Dell version was at the time. Right. And uh, the cinema display was whatever it was, $900. And the Dell one could be gotten for like 400 of mm-hmm. course, you know. And sure. so at the time, it was sort of like, all right, if you're going to buy one and you want to save a few bucks, it's not as pretty, but you could definitely buy the Dell and you'll still have a great screen. Mm-hmm. Um, the big problem with uh, with doing serious color work on your monitor is that almost every one of these monitors is way too damn bright. It's true. 
They're wicked bright. Yeah, these these panels come out. They measure this stuff uh, in candelas per square meter. So it it, it says CD slash M over M squared. It's it's basically how bright, how much light the sc- uh, screen is putting off, mm-hmm. and. Almost all these screens now are like, oh, it's 200, 300, 500 candelas per square meter, which is incredibly, incredibly bright. Now, if you're actually trying to do color critical work, you want to actually bring that brightness level way, 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 way down. Uh, mine is set at 120 mm-hmm. when I when I uh, calibrate it, which we'll get into in a minute. Um, so you, you want to get it way, way down. Now, the problem is, is that a lot of times the backlights are so bright that even when you bring the backlight all the way down to its lowest power, mm-hmm. it's still like at 200 candelas. So to get it down to 120 so that so that white is 120, you're actually eating up some of the color range of the LCD because you're brighten, you're, you're darkening it by making every single pixel on the screen darken just a little bit. So that white is, you see what I'm saying? You're like, no, it's true. You're, it's you're, a trick. You're like, yeah, exactly. You're condensing sort of the, the dynamic range that you have. Um, so the better screens actually have brightnesses that can go lower naturally based on based on the backlight. Yep. Um, one thing I would like to say, though, is that when people talk about LED screens, mm-hmm. they're still LCD screens. They just have LED backlights. Correct. Which drives me nuts when somebody says oh it's an led monitor no it's not an led monitor uh, well it might be it might be okay an LED okay monitor. yes but no one is using an led computer monitor what are you talking about i've got one sitting in front of me right now which one my macbook pro no but that's an lcd with an led backlight yeah right that's what they call it i mean that's yeah but apple, I, but apple even calls it that yeah but i think that that's a misnomer because the people think that it's an led screen really it's just they replaced the fluorescent tubes with leds <laughs> No, but, yeah, but there's still I guess, an LCD in front of it. Yeah, I mean, I think I guess I just I, I just assume that that's uh, people think that they're implied. They're, people think that they're yeah, but I don't think they are because people will say, oh, this isn't an LCD screen, this is an LED screen. It's like who, no, it's who, not. I've never met a person who said that because that's just oh, people retarded. Un- well, people don't understand the difference between these things. Oh, that's there's a huge difference. LCD. Or, or we they all think know that, that LCD, an LED backlight is 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 a thing that you absolutely want, which it necessarily not isn't necessarily you know, something that's worth getting. Well, for me, anyway, it might, it it helps if you understand what those two acronyms stand for. So we know what LCD stands for. LCD stands for liquid crystal display. It even has the word display right in the, in the name. And then LED stands for light emitting diode. Yeah. I like LEDs. Yeah. LEDs are cool. And they've come a really long way in the past 10 years. It's insane. Because you can actually get white ones now. And they're wicked bright, and yep. they're like color, t- like color temperature, like tuned, and they're like madly actually, efficient. It's it's the truth. You yep. can get like replacement light bulbs out of them. Now the know. one the one huge advantage of having LED backlight versus having basically fluorescent backlights mm-hmm. or CFL backlights is yep. that uh, you turn the monitor on and it gets up to whatever brightness it's supposed to be almost instantaneously with LEDs. Where LCD, where uh, an LCD display with CFL backlight, like the like the NEC monitor I use, right. you're actually supposed to let it sit and sort of settle in for ten minutes before you start using it. I mean, you're not going to notice it when you're booting up and checking your email, but like if you're actually doing serious color, color critical work, it sort of needs to settle, uh, which is an interesting little thing. But just something I want to put outside there. But mm. so the basic gist is that a lot of times when you buy these monitors they're way too bright and people use them way too bright and that's a big part of where calibration comes in in colorimeters yeah um, do you actually use these things on your on your uh screens me personally yes no have you ever used one on your laptop um i'm not personally i'm not a huge fan of color calibration <coughs> excuse me as a rule but uh in my professional work you know when i've worked uh, you know, and I worked at Detouch, and and when I worked uh, uh, back in Chicago, uh, helping out other print, you know, print shops and photo shops and design shops and stuff like that, um, I definitely, you know, showed them how to do it and got, you know, got them got their their uh, color profiling systems in place. Well, but, as an uh, aside, what what about it? Are you not a fan of? Um, the problem I have with color calibration is that. It's um, it, it's what's the best way best way to put it? Um, it's different every time. 
long story short, it, it, unless you have it, you you have the entire workflow under one roof, you know, so to speak. Like if you've got the 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 display, the printer, and or the scanner, uh, all under your explicit control. Yes. Um. Then it does it doesn't really matter. And but you know because in my in my day like you know people the the quality of the printers that we were dealing with you know they did they would eventually at some point be sending the file out somewhere else to be printed true and it's like all right well dude if you're going to be doing that then why are you wasting your time trying to get this so perfect because it's just going to change again once it gets to the freaking press yeah but these things are based on a reference right so if you if your if your screen is you know, if the red shows correctly on your is red, if your screen is showing red the way it's supposed to be shown, theoretically, the guy on the other side of the printer will have a screen that's showing red the way it's supposed to be shown. Yeah, but that, that it, the way I look at it is this: it's like you you get the best printer that you can afford, and you get the best display that you can afford, and you get those two talking to each other as, as closely as possible. And then when you send your file along with the proof, you better make sure that the proof looks as close to what you want it to look like as possible, and then it's the printer's responsibility to match that. Okay. That's that's how I do it. So, and you know, and I don't get me wrong. I mean, if if you want to jump through the hoops, because man, I mean, these things they would require daily, if not more more than once a day, uh, maintenance to, to just to keep them up because the printers would shift and yeah. and the, well, and the okay. displays would shift. I, a number of things. One, I think that printing at home uh, <clears throat> yeah. and using different profiles for different papers and all that kind of stuff uh, yeah. is is a giant pain in the ass if you're that anal. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say that my printer that I use currently is this HP that has sort of an auto calibration feature. Uh-huh. So if you're using papers that are pretty close to the HP papers that are built in, um, or you know that 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 it knows about, uh, I actually <laughs> just let the printer deal with color management, and I don't profile at all, and my prints look great. Um, cool. However, I am a big believer in getting your monitor, you know, the delta E of your monitor, pretty damn close. Um, well, cali- you know, calibrating your monitor, yeah. yeah, calibrating your monitor to itself, yes, that's that's one thing, and yeah. I'm, I mean, that just makes sense. That's easy, um, and especially if you've got a monitor that is, you know, cal- calibrated Knows how to do this stuff, yeah. Well, that has a USB port and can can you yeah. know be driven by the system, and when you plug it into the computer, the computer says, "Oh, you're one of these. I have a special profile for you." And use yeah. this to make it look like that. That's yeah, that's cool. I have no problem with that. Okay. Um, what I'm talking the, the the stuff I do get you know, I, I get annoyed at is is the other is the rest of it. Well, some people yeah. Well, some people get really complex, and a lot of people really don't know what they're talking about. Now, I'm not going to get into print stuff and dealing with you know perceptual versus you know all that kind of stuff. I I'm not going to get into that because that's a whole other ball of wax. Yeah. However, on screen stuff. Uh, you know, if you're serious about this stuff, get a decent monitor and get yourself a little I one kit or an X Rite or whatever, whoever the hell owns these things nowadays. Uh, yeah. even the Pantone Spider ones, the newer ones are pretty good. The old ones were kind of crappy. Um, yeah, I've been using. Uh, I had a, a I one display two, which has been out for like five six years now, and still sort of is the one a lot of people use mm-hmm. uh, as my colorimeter. Uh, mm-hmm. so for people who don't know, basically the gist of this is that you plug this little puck into your computer via USB, mm-hmm. you stick it on the front of your screen or let it sit on the front of your screen and you run the software. And basically it shows a bunch of colors on the screen and the little colorimeter thing reads these colors and compares them to what they're supposed to look like. It's like a little electronic eye. It knows it can sense these things, compares the red that shows up on the screen compared to the red that it's supposed to look like, and creates a curve uh, to compensate for the screen being incorrect so that it pulls it back into alignment. So if, if the color it shows on the screen is a little blue, then it pushes it a little yellow to try to get it back on the line that it's supposed to be on. Um, now, some screens calibrate better than others. Uh some screens are designed to be calibrated and, uh, and then there are a number of different ways that this works. Now I used to use, uh, the I one stuff I used to use had uh, a piece of software called I one match, which mm-hmm. did this. And then the subsequent, the, uh, the profile that came out of this, the ICC profile, which corrected the monitor, um, it would stick it basically in between the operating system and the video card. Right. So the video card would have this ICC profile and every time a color came up, it would sort of compare it against this chart. 
correct it, and then send that corrected color to the monitor. This is fine and dandy, and you know this is how things work. Now, the problem with doing it this way, and if this is the only way you can do it, it's still well worth doing, um, is that that's all being done in, uh, in 8 bits per color channel. So that if there's major correction going on, it can actually sort of, it can lower your overall color output a little bit because it's, uh, it's doing, it's, it's, you can get dithering and all that kind of stuff. This kind of stuff that you get if you make drastic curves changes on an 8-bit file in Photoshop. Right. Right. Uh, the better way to do this is to get a monitor that actually has internal lookup tables or LUTs, which L-U-T. Yes. Which is the way to go if you're really serious about this stuff. Um, and it is in some ways what is what demarcates good monitors from professional monitors. Uh, the high-end stuff have internal lookup tables. Everything else does not. It's uh, true. Uh, and that's and then the world of, of uh, video and film and broadcast, that's that's all they have. I mean, yeah. there's actually whole systems. I actually did some research on this and had some experience with it. Um, where, you know, you would actually you'd have like a master computer that would generate the uh, the, the the proper you know R G and B signals and what have you, and then you'd pl- basically it was kind of cool. Uh, we had it set up with a little netbook, so we had this little PC machine that would dis- you know display the the uh, it, it, it would spit the the image out, <clears throat> and then it could even do it over the network. So let's say you know you had a just a conventional sort of off the shelf. Um, plasma display, like we had a giant 42-inch plasma display that obviously didn't, you know, couldn't be calibrated. But you wanted to be able to uh, to send it a, a proper signal. So what you could do is you use the, you know, the same device that you would output that uh, image on. Like if it was it was hooked up to some computer somewhere, and you basically get get this little chart up on that screen, and then you'd basically use the laptop with the colorimeter on it to calibrate that screen and then it would basically generate a LUT for that display and then you could stick that LUT in between you know the, the software the driver software so that it would know you know oh I'm using the, for this display I need to filter it through this sure. lookup table and it's pretty cool yeah there yeah. Uh, okay so the one of the advantages of having the lookup table in the monitor is that you can plug this monitor into any computer and the computer doesn't need to be aware that there are lookup tables and stuff going on in the monitor so right. you could plug in a laptop or you could plug in your desktop and it's not like you have to uh, bring the ICC profile onto each of those computers because it's all happening in the monitor. Right. Um, it's also usually happening uh, at higher than 8 bits per color channel. Uh, my NEC, I think, is at 12 bits. The newer ones are at 14 bit. Basically, the idea is that uh, you're doing the corrections at such a higher bit level that once you bring it back down to 8 bit, you didn't lose anything in the process. Um, so this is, this, these are like big things that, that people look for. Um, the NEC that I use, the 3090, um, actually you can plug its, uh, colorimeter straight into the monitor and have the monitor do it itself. However, oh. apparently it's more accurate if you do it through the computer because the software is more complex. Mm. Um, they sell a special software that actually talks to the monitor that does all this communication and puts the updates, the lookup tables and everything. Uh, they also sell a special colorimeter, which is basically an I one display two, which I used to have. Apparently they, they go in and they modify the uh, filters in it or something. This is the line. Uh-huh. Uh, I sold my old one and bought the new one for just about the same price. So yeah. I didn't really lose anything. And my calibration numbers did get a lot better. So I don't mm. know if it's true or not. Um, I actually used this one to do uh, Kent's monitor at his office, which oh. I made him buy. Um, <laughs> I made him buy one of these because he got a really good deal on it. Uh, oh. They're they're like over two thousand new, but Kent found one a refurb on the pan, on the NEC website for like twelve hundred. Oh man, which is a crazy good deal. And he was like, I don't know, maybe I should just buy a cinema display. I was like, Are you out of your mind? <laughs> you know. See, yeah. th- there's a situation where you don't want to buy the Apple display. Like, well, if, no, no. if I mean, for the same amount of money you could get a real pro display, yeah, that's what yeah. you want to do. Now, uh, as far as pro displays go, there are only really a few companies. It's true. Uh, really, it's NEC and ISO because Lacy actually is just rebranded NEC monitors. Oh, uh, does Lacy still make? 
Display. Yeah, they do, oh. and they're they're pretty much. It's it's funny because when you see them in the store, the buttons are all the NEC buttons and everything. It's just yeah. literally a a new badge in the corner, and I think they charge like thirty percent more. Nice. Uh, uh, but ISO, which make great monitors. Uh, yeah. My last monitor was an ISO. Which one did you have? I had a two forty W. Was it a color edge? Yes. CG. So it was a CG two four zero. Was it a C? Was it a CE two four zero? No, the color series is CG computer graphics. No, because yeah, but there's a CE. There was a CE line at one point too. I might be wrong. Uh, and it was the two forty something two forty W. I think. Um, it was a good screen. It didn't have internal lookup tables, but it was a lot better than the Dell that I was using before that. Um, sure. Because again, part of the is the backlight, uh, and part of it is you know just the electronics they have underneath the whole thing works a lot better. Um, you know, it's funny. The one thing I didn't mention though is that a lot of these high end monitors have a much larger color gamut too. This is another big thing. So mm. uh, the cheaper monitors are gener- generally limited to sort of sRGB kind of colors. Mm-hmm. So they're showing you. There may be colors in your pictures that you're not seeing. Does that make sense? Yeah. And the 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 monitors with wide gamut, and a lot of times they'll say that it's a wide gamut monitor. Um, actually, the, the you know the gamut is huge, and this is great if as long as your software that you're looking at stuff on is color aware, is is aware that you're using a high gamut monitor. Now, Photoshop. And all those kinds of things certainly are Lightroom, all that kind of stuff. But it's right. funny because a lot of um, uh, uh, web browsers don't know that this is going on, and they don't look at what the uh, ICC profile is and all the rest of it, and they don't do the correction so that it looks normal on your monitor. And so it kind of stretches out the colors, and a lot of times you get like this really sort of oversaturated look. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, it's, it's true. I'm, it's, or, or, or on the opposite side, you'll get uh, a really flat, yep. almost like a weird kind of like, yeah. like if, if you took the vibrance slider yeah. in Photoshop and just cranked it all the way down. It's and like, it's, where did all my shit go? And it's funny because you, you would think <clears> that, uh, you know, preview inside of Mac OS works fine. Mm-hmm. Safari is good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Firefox, you can turn it on. Mm-hmm. And Chrome is ignorant. Chrome is <laughs> ignorant. And and I don't know why, because it's funny. In the last version, when I was using Windows, you know, six months ago, the there was a version which you could set up a a, a flag in the command line when you launched it mm. that would turn it on, like it was mm. in there. It was just turned off by default, um, but it's not there in the uh, Mac version. But it's like it's it's an interesting little thing, but it's worth giving up if what you're trying to do is seriously know what your images look like which to me is very, very important. Uh, my friend uh, Hannah came over yesterday with these uh, six-by-six-inch paintings she had done of, uh, of penguins uh, dancing in the bathroom at night while you were sleeping, that kind of thing, like these little toy penguins. Huh. They're, they're very cute. Hannah's a very talented girl. And mm. we scanned them on my scanner, and mm. then we printed them out. And How'd that go? The scan was, it looked great. And then we printed them, and literally you could hold them up next to the painting, and it was like dead on. Nice. Um, and see, and that's that's what I like is that I know what I'm doing, which is which which is really funny when I send stuff out and I get it back and it's not right. I'm I, I think to myself, no no no, my screen is right, <laughs> so there's something wrong on your end, you know. Yeah. And I like being able to know that what I'm sending you is how it's supposed to look. Um, it's funny that Elko place that I get a lot of my stuff printed in New Jersey, I've mm-hmm. never had a problem. Well, that's cause they probably know yeah. like when, when you, yeah. cause you send them proofs, right? No. Oh, okay. No. So then straight JPEG straight to print and it comes back and it's like dead on. I do the same thing with Adorama and it's not dead on. So yeah. it's, you know, it's like, it's, you, you kind of get what you pay for, but it's funny because at, actually not get what you pay for. Cause Elko is just as cheap as Adorama, but I've been in the Adorama book department where they their books are very nice and and if you use their if you soft proof with their profiles which is a whole other thing we won't get into um Mm. you get pretty close but it's funny the guys who are sitting there correcting the things because you can have them take a look at the pictures before you send them Mm -hmm. now this isn't the kind of thing i would ever do myself but you know if my mother was sending pictures from you know they're gonna they're gonna correct gross errors 
that you right. know the average person is never going to know. Sure. Um, uh, they all use ISO twenty two inch CG whatever's they are. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting. It really is. Uh, now you can expect to pay a lot of money for these monitors. A good pro monitor with lookup tables, you're going to spend over a thousand dollars easily. And you could spend up to five thousand dollars. Although a lot, you know, the, the, there's a like ISO makes a thirty inch, but apparently uh, it's not that yeah. good. Yeah, or you at know, least it's not nearly worth the price, you know. Yeah, it's funny because uh, I, so when I worked at uh, at Detouch, uh, that was my first introduction to um, the current crop of high end cali- you know, calibratable LCDs. Yeah. Uh, I was no stranger to the calibrated display thing, but that was all back in the '90s, late '90s, early 2000s when I was working uh, in Chicago, <clears throat> uh, and everything was a CRT. And uh, the the big name, the big name to get um, for CRT based color sensitive, you know, color accurate um, displays was a company called Barco, uh-huh. uh, yeah. Swiss Swiss company, I think. And uh, I mean, these things, you know, these were like twenty thousand dollars. I mean, these things were preposterously expensive, and they had little, you know, the little p- calibrator pucks attached to them um, by a serial connection, and, you know, and there was special software, and it took like half an hour to calibrate because yeah. things need to warm up and all that stuff. Anyway. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of just sort of stopped and I'm not, a, I'm, as I've already stated, I'm not a huge fan of the calibrating thing. So I didn't really pay close attention, but when it was my job to sort of, you know, be in on that, I had to, had to bone up again. So, um, it turns out that the, uh, the ASO color edge series apparently is, is the, is the favorite. And then among them, there's a specific model. Um, and it was actually, it's a Hitachi panel, uh, and it's this 21 inch, um, display that that actually just stopped being made. Um, yeah. But the CG two eleven, the two ten, and the two eleven uh, are very widely regarded as like the best yep. color accurate displays available. And and there's just something I I mean I can't deny it. I'm I've spent time in front of I have them sitting I'm sitting behind one right now actually. And there's just something about it that has this really smooth consistent look to it and uh and then we, you know when we bought a whole bunch of new equipment and i had to buy some, some of these displays had over ten thousand hours on them yeah so they were you know they're well out of warranty and there was and just the physical the cabinets you know like the actual enclosures were falling apart and they weren't really suitable for sending out on shoots anymore so i had to find a suitable replacement and it, it took me a while and you know everybody kept recommending the 24 inch version you know the sure. cg 24 and I, I you know we got them and the, don't get me wrong they're fine looking displays but there's there's just no they're yeah. there's they're totally different. It was funny the the there was the the yeah the the twenty one or twenty two or whatever it was the yeah the CG was well regarded and expensive. The mm-hmm. the problem I always had with it was that it was too low res for me. Yeah, well, it's, it's not actually picture. that high res. No, um, it's like it's like dead accurate, but not really. Uh, I it, I need more space to work. You know, well, yeah. For, so for what, what people would do the the traditional one, setup two is two screens. Yeah, exactly. Use the use the ISO for your uh, for your you know actual proof, and then your other screen for yeah. uh, either all your tools and palettes, or you can just have you know I'm sure you know this in Photoshop you can have more than one window. Sure. Um, so you have you know another window open. You know, I've got to tell you though, I've tried doing multiple screens again, mm-hmm. and every time because you think oh instead of a twenty two hundred dollar thirty inch NEC, I can get two thousand dollars two thousand dollars twenty twos yeah. But you know what? Like, it always drives me nuts. Like, I'm always like, I just want one giant screen as opposed to two smaller ones. You know? Yeah. I, uh, I, I for me, it depends on what you're doing. The, 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 you know, the, the big, the big difference I found uh, amongst serious Photoshop folk um, uh, are tablet users, uh, folks who use Wacom tablets. Yeah. Um, because if you have more than one display, yeah, that gets a little weird. A lot of people like the whole one to one. Absolutely. Yeah. No, that's totally an issue too. Yeah. You get yeah. to the point where it's like, okay, well, how do I jump to the other screen without pulling yeah. out my mouse? Exactly. Um, no, that's, that's another point that I rarely think about cause I never use dual monitors, but yes, that's true yeah. too. Now I um, personally use dual monitors, uh, but I have a very, I, I almost, you know, I would say I use the, the two monitors in, in the way that folks who use, um, virtual desktops use them you know the whole apple right. in the mac os it's called the uh spaces. spaces yeah um so i you know i have one monitor that has its own stuff on it and then another monitor that has its own stuff on it and they're pretty much exclusive to one another yeah and that works great for me it's uh so if you're out there looking uh iso 24 inch is really good the nec 24 inch is really good nec makes a th- 
they just came out with a new revision of the 30 inch that I use, which is supposed to be really great as well. Although mm-hmm. not much of an upgrade beyond this one. So if you ever get a chance to buy a 3090, you should buy it. Hmm. Um, but they make a 27 inch, which uses the same panel that Apple uses um, in their 27 inch iMac. And is it a 27 inch cinema display now too, right? That's like um, the only cinema display is the 27 inch. I think you're right. Okay. Um, except that it has lookup tables and probably a more accurate backlight. So if you're serious about it, I think that the 27 inch NEC is like twelve or fourteen hundred dollars, but for what it is, is supposedly an incredible deal. You know, for that mm. kind of thing, uh, it's like fourteen bit lookup tables and all the rest of it. Mm. Um, oh yeah, there's uh, one other thing I was just thinking of. It's the oh, glossy verse Matt. What are your thoughts? Um, we're talking about printing now, right? No, no, no. Uh, monitors. <clears throat> oh, <clears throat> um, I, I do not like a glossy display. I thought you were going to start doing some Dr. Seuss. No. Uh, you don't like a glossy display. That is correct. But your laptop has a glossy display, doesn't it? Uh, that was not my personal choice. That w- at the time, that was the only uh, option available. This is, I'm, unfortunately, my laptop is a, is a first-gen unibody MacBook Pro, and they didn't start offering the matte display or whatever you want to call it, the anti-glare display as they call it. Until an hour uh, and a half until, later after you bought it? No, until like a generation later. Okay. So if you were going to buy again today, you'd get the matte? Yes, sir. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't mind the, the one nice thing about the, uh, glossy displays is that the black levels are really black. Yeah. For me, glossy just, it's, it, it reminds me of the differences between, you know, windows machines and, and Macintoshes and the way that like just windows machines just generally are, I don't know, uglier, you know, more brash, more contrasty. You know what I mean? Okay. Just like, just I don't know. They're just a little less easy on the eyes. I think that's just a sense of people generally using cheaper displays on them. Yeah, I mean you're right, but you know you take you take a, an HP or compact you know five hundred dollar laptop sure. and look at this. Look at the look at Windows running on it and it has a certain look to it yep. that just is like Ugh. yeah. You know, it's amazing to me though. A lot of times you'll pull up a monitor that you think is pretty good and you're like, oh yeah, it looks fine. Look, that's you know my pictures or you know that's a movie and it looks perfectly fine. And then you go and you calibrate it. Mm-hmm. And you go, oh my god, that looks because you can usually turn it on and off at the yeah, end. Yeah. You know, it was like the a AB, little yeah. yeah before after. And you go, holy crap, that's so cyan or so whatever. You didn't even really notice because your eyes are really good at sort of compensating for that kind of thing. Yeah, after you know, all, it's really you, you get used really to funny. it. It's really funny. In the early early days <clears throat> of ColorSync, yeah, uh, ColorSync is Apple's sort of brand name for you know color profile color profiling system. This is back in the OS nine like pre OS 10 days and they were just sort of figuring this out. You, it was cool. You could, you could totally calibrate your display and, um, get everything working. And, and you could watch when you rebooted the machine as the, you know, as the machine put together, you know, the, the system for you yeah. to use, um, you, you know, you'd see the, the, the screen change colors from gray to blue yeah. to white or whatever. And then, you know, then your desktop would come up or whatever. But for whatever reason, one of the earlier versions of the OS, it didn't, change the color of the cursor uh so the little white outline surrounding the black you know macintosh cursor was whatever the native you know that's color it was really weird and it just uh just this is os9 you said this is way old and maybe even before os9 well it's before compositing i guess probably it was i don't know what it was but it was just so weird because like it had this like weird little like bluish because you know like a native the native color of a fluorescent display is like this like kind of bluish Usually pretty whitish awful. blue. Yeah. And it was just weird to see. I'm like, why is the cursor that color? And the rest of the thing looks fine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then they, obviously they eventually figured that out and, and now everything is fine. But I just remember the early days when they were trying to implement that stuff. It, uh, yeah, it was interesting. Um, so uh, a few little tidbits at the end here. Uh, somebody else asked me one time what settings I use when I calibrate. Like, you know, what, what targets I'm trying to go to. Uh-huh. Um, so I just thought I'd throw these in here. Uh, I use D65 as my white point, which mm-hmm. is like 6,500 Kelvin white, which is pretty much sort of medium in the middle there. Uh, D65 is like a slightly specialized version of it, but I've heard recommended. Uh, I use a 2.2 gamma, which mm-hmm. is the gamma that Windows has used forever, which Mac, Apple finally came around to. Yeah, 2.2. Two, two, I mean, the, those two, the, actually, we, when, when we did this stuff uh, at Touch, we did... Uh, I want to say 55 or 58. Okay. Not quite, not quite as cool yeah. as yours. Yeah. Yeah. 
it's and it, it it honestly depends on what you're going towards too i i just found this was the 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 mo- most useful for everything that i do mm-hmm. um and uh my intensity the brightness down to 120 candelas uh some people go all like 80 or 100 yeah. Yeah. um to me it's a little too dark uh so a lot of people when they're when they're printing stuff out they'll it'll look great on screen and they'll print it and it'll be like way way too dark uh that is usually because your screen is up so bright that you're you're it's 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 you're working on something you think it's a certain look but actually the file is actually much darker than that it's just that your screen is so bright that it's bumping everything up so when the file actually prints it's going to print dark um in many ways getting the brightness at the right level is half the battle in getting your screen to print thing to be more correct because a lot of people aren't nearly as anal as i am about color cast and that kind of stuff now Um, we were having issues with the new the uh the 24 inch displays because they were too bright and then we were losing uh, we were we're seeing more like it was actually like amplified like on especially in black and white the shadows were just being totally blown out you know so you would see all this extra detail on the display that that would never come out on the print yeah because it was way too bright uh and and some people uh, i think the uh the software the spectra view software that nec uses the photo editing setting is at like 140 candelas, but I still thought that was a little too bright uh, for me. Uh, so I had it 120. The funny thing is that if you load this up uncalibrated, it is so incredibly bright, like <laughs> like yeah. painful on the eyes bright. And you kind of yeah. think, man, there's people who buy these things and never do this, and that's what they're using all day long. Yeah, like no crazy. matter they no wonder they think it's such a nightmare. But a lot of people go and they calibrate and they think, oh, is there something wrong with this calibration? It's so dark, and I paid so much for this monitor that goes so bright, and it's like, no, you want it dark, you know, or rather, true. you want it a lot less bright than you think it should be. It's um, kind of like uh, like uh, like a nice tube amp. You exactly. Know? It's like it's like oh man, you got this you know hundred watt thing. It's like no, dude, you, you know, I didn't get it to, yeah. to to be loud. I just got it so I could overdrive yeah. it right. You yeah, know? exactly. <laughs> uh, so. Things to think about. So again, uh, D65, 2.2 gamma, 120 candelas is what I go for. And I, this is how I work and I love it. And it's funny because I'll look at these pictures on my phone or on another computer or whatever it is. And I'm so used to staring at them on here, especially the, the stuff that is, you know, my greatest hits kind of stuff that I've looked at a billion times. Yeah. Uh, I can use it and I can actually know whether something is correct or not on some other device. Because I'm so used to looking at that picture of Neil Gaiman saying knowing the green of those seats sure. that I go to some other screen. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's way off. Like, And I can actually manually get it a lot closer than it is if there isn't an option to use a colorimeter. You know? Yeah. Uh, it's just kind of funny that you get used to it after a while. Well, I think uh, it's the same thing with um, with your ears. You know, yeah. It's like when you get you know a pair of speakers or a pair of headphones, you put on your favorite tune yeah. and you're like, oh, okay, you I know can't hear this or this. Sound. This thing sounds way yeah. brighter or, where, you know, or yeah. muddy or wherever. You yeah. know, I can't even hear this at all, and I know where this goes and yeah. that whole thing. So yeah. same, same thing. So, yeah. So we'll put some links in the show notes. Um, certain people are much more anal about this than others. I have become more anal over time, although there are people who put me to shame. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I put down – if I'm really working, I'll put down things so there's no direct sunlight on me, but I don't work in a completely dark room. You know. Well, that's that's the other thing, man. Uh, the, the the day that I became bitter or not bitter, but jaded in regards to color <laughs> yeah. uh, cal- calibration is the day that I was brought into a proper like like 100 um, percent perfect color lab situation, yeah. you know, where they had like the entire room was lit with like special fluorescent bulbs at the right color temperature. The guy who was given the demo had this little like card you know, that had some special coding on it that you could actually just look. If you looked at this thing and and it looked like this, then you knew you were in a color, you know, proper co- the proper color light space. Sure. Like, you know, I, yeah. I can't even remember what it was called. And, then, you know, and then we went through this whole demo of he was this guy basically um, was the representative for this fancy schmancy, fancy schmancy um, color calibration package. I wish I could remember what the hell it was called. Um, which, you know, which was a spectra, it had a spectrophotometer and, you know, a special scanner sure. that you'd plug into your, it was this whole system, yeah. you know, from, from, from display to scanner, to print, yeah. everything, you know, I think it cost like 10 grand or something like that. It was really expensive. And the, one of our clients was this catalog print shop that just printed just tons and tons of stuff. And they had, you know, this room with four, fi- you know, four final retoucher type proofer p- folks. 
and they lived in this little this little cave with no windows and these lights and yeah this stuff was as clean and as and as accurate as it could possibly be and i'm like and this is you know this is the way the way to do it and unless you're doing it exactly this way yeah you're not going to come close yeah well i mean i think you can get pretty close i, I, I mean, mean i yeah, send yeah. my stuff out and yeah. i am i mean when i'm sending it to magazines and stuff the funny thing is is that a lot of people will say well what's the point of doing this you're putting it on the web or on your website and 99.9% of the world is not looking at it on a calibrated display. So what's the point? Um, well, there are people who have good displays and I want to make it sure it looks right. There's a lot of stuff I see from other photographers and I'm like, they must have no idea what their files look like. Cause that looks like ass on my screen. Yeah. Um, and then the other flip side is that when you're printing, it's like, you know, you're set to a set standard. So theoretically, if they're set to the same standard, you're better. It's funny to me though, when you're talking about advertising or, 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 um, uh, uh, commercial stuff, catalogs, that kind of thing, because mm -hmm. these things are using four color printers and they're printing 400,000 of these things, you know, some J crew catalog. And it's sure. like, how color perfect is that going to be? Or, or, you know, like some giant billboard or that kind of thing, you know, it's true. No, um, you're right. It's so it's it, a certain point. It's just kind of like people obsess about things. I mean, I obsess too, but, but more, it's like, I want my final print that I print out and that goes back to our episode on printing and that kind of stuff where you say you don't really print much. I mm -hmm. want, I want my final thing to be what I want it to look like. But if you're sending it off to somebody, there's so many other things in the chain 90% of the time that it's, it's, it's going to shift a little bit no matter what, yeah. you know, my, my, again, my sort of, my, my take on it is, is just tweak it until it looks good, you know? Um, cause don't get me wrong. There's definitely great tools and processes in, that you can implant, implement. And I guess it, it really works more for me because I don't do it all day, every day. If right. I did something all day, every day, then obviously I would, I would fi probably find a system that worked really well for me. But since I do it every once in a blue moon, yep. it does, it just doesn't make sense for me to spend all that time and energy making the system and upkeeping it yeah. when it's going to be different every time anyway. So I'll, screw it. I'm just going to, you know, basically, all right, today's the print day and, and I'm just going to tweak my images and tweak the display and tweak the printer until it comes out looking the way so, I want so it to look. So it'll look a certain way. You print it and you'll say, oh, that's way too green. I'm going to make it a little more magenta on the screen so that it compensates and becomes. Yeah. Okay. See, yeah. Exactly. See, to me, that's like, that's great, but you're kind of like shooting in the dark. I'd rather yeah. know that the screen looks the way it's supposed to. And therefore, when it looks perfect on the screen, I print and it comes out good. Um, I hear you. No, I mean, and again, if, if, if that's, it depends, it depends on, on your workflow and what your sure. final yeah. targets are going to be. And I don't know. I, I don't, the stuff I work on isn't, isn't for real, you know, yeah, isn't, no, isn't, sure. Yeah. People aren't paying me for my stuff. So but I'll tell you, it's, it's, it's just for me. It still blows my mind that people do finished work on a laptop. Just like it's, I, well, I just don't. Sometimes you gotta, I mean, sometimes. You know, all, sure, all, sure. Yeah. But like there are people who that's their only computer and they're like serious pros. And you're like, how do you even know what you're looking at? It just, well, they, it, they, they give it to somebody else yeah. who does dude. I mean, that's, that's yeah, the one. I, so. I mean, it's not the, it, I just you know, don't the, trust other people. Well, that, that's a whole different story. <laughs> so one thing, one last thing here is uh, talking about once you calibrate your monitor, you, you get a number out of it to say how close it is to correct. And that is called Delta E. So it's like uh, Delta as in uh, difference between what it's supposed to be and what it is. Uh, and, and this number is usually an integer with, you know, decimals like 2.3, 1.4. 0.67 um mm -hmm. and and the lower the better the lower the closer the closer to zero the better you are um right. pretty much anything below two is what people are looking for if you're a serious pro guy um or girl uh, down closer to one is amazing theoretically anything under one is indistinguishable um i will tell you that it's funny because once you get down to that level of, of of accuracy mm -hmm. each time you uh calibrate your monitor it may be off it, it jumps around because it's like it's so, it's so close to being perfect that you know the the measurements vary yeah no and you know? this remember the thing i was telling about that little yep. that little chippy that card that yep. color chip that that dude was yep. showing off that basically could show it had like a little graduated scale kind of reminded me of what um like a, you ever see what a, a pH test looks like sure, yeah. for acid and bases? Yeah. It kind of had that, you know, and you could tell based on which color was, you know, highlighted or whatever you want to call it, um, what you were looking at. And it yeah. went down to like 0.1 or something like that. Yeah. And I think the devices we were working on were all in like the 0.5 to 0.7 range. It was yeah. the same. 
Yeah, so like my monitor, when I'm having a good day and it's calibrating right, yeah, I'm getting down in the 0. 0.6 area, nice. Nice. Uh, which is pretty much as good as it gets. Um, so just something to keep in mind, not all, you can't just buy any monitor and it'll calibrate down below one. Uh, a lot of them won't. But even if, if you're on a budget and you buy some, there's a lot of people who buy three, four, five hundred $500 Dells on sale, 24-inch uh, uh, IPS displays and they'll calibrate them with, uh, you know, I one or whatever, and they'll get it down to 1.2, 1.4, which yeah. is pretty damn good for the amount of money you're spending. Totally. Uh, but again, the biggest problem with a lot of the less expensive monitors or the monitors that aren't designed for this is that they're way too bright. Um, yeah. and that they don't have the internal lookup tables. So those are the two big things uh, that you're looking for. Um, one other little, uh, tidbit to add is that, uh, most people connect their computers right now to their monitors with DVI cables. Uh, that is kind of turning over to this DisplayPort standard. Uh, the one nice advantage of DisplayPort is that if you're using the right video card, and right now it's sort of limited to the uh, workstation level cards, the, what is it, the ATI Fire and the the Fire GL, you know what I'm talking about. Um, the higher end. In Macintoshes or just yeah, in- well in general, yeah, and then, and then Nvidia has their own series, whatever they are. They're, they're like the ones built for people doing 3D Studio and and Maya and that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, well they're um, all hardcore, right? But those double height, exactly. Those uh, video cards can actually output 10 bits per channel, so they're actually 30 bit instead of 24 going to the monitor, which theoretically will give you a lot smoother uh, shadows. You'll get less dithering and stuff in the shadows. So yeah. just another little tidbit to put in there. Totally. Uh, anything else we th- hadn't thought uh, of? I don't think so. Um, just trying to think. Uh, the yeah, the the one I think the one hassle that I ever that I rent ran into in my experience is that it's a. I think if you do if you do want to do multiple monitors, uh, I mean this is sort of common sense, but you really should bet, get you know get them at the same exact time. Yes. Because uh, getting two, even even two like like I said when I worked at Detouch we had. Jeez, two dozen of the color, you know, Azo Color Edge CG two tens and two elevens, yep. which were all, you know, the same exact model, same basic panel, but I can't guarantee you uh, there were certain pairs or sets that just did not match together, and yeah. you, ha- you know, I, I I spent you know many an hour calibrating them and, and figuring out which ones went best with you know together because okay. so that yes, the Detouch setup was basically two displays. Uh, one would be sitting uh, at the computer with the digital tech, and then the other one would be on a long cable uh, on a stand, like a like a rolling like a low low roller low boy uh, tripod, uh, right next to the photographer, sort of as their as their preview. Uh, and it was really important for those two displays to you know look as close to identical as possible. So if the photographer said, "Hey, can you bring down the blah blah you know whatever, adjust this or that." You know, the tech could do it at his station and, and get the, the results that the photographer expected. Sure. So, um, so yeah, when you are picking out displays uh, and you do want to do the more than one uh, thing, definitely get them, uh, get them in pairs. Yeah. It's funny. You and I discussed this when you were still working over there uh, about how absurd it is to even make those kinds of decisions like on set. Just because yeah. it's like, just make sure your data is within the histogram and not getting yeah. clipped off and whatever it is. Like... It, it's silly, you know. There's plenty you know, of time it, for that later. It's true, although having having some time passed since then, and having spoken to people and been around it a little bit more, I can say that the one reason why you want to do that sort of thing is basically to show off for the client. It's, well, um, yeah, okay. That's, I mean, no, I mean, it's, it sounds stupid and, and petty, yep. but you have to remember these these shoots are like you know tens of thousands of dollars. Yep. You know, these are like big big budget shoots. There are big name celebrity type art directors and designers on set like looking at stuff and sadly that's that's just the level of expectation that's been that's been made i I just that's just a whole emperor's new clothes crap that i just can't buy into i'm not really a big fan of it myself yeah but uh but it's just kind of funny it's like oh let's worry about the it's like you don't have to worry about color right now dude you know, like, <laughs> well, I mean, and these people would like would even, I mean, expect. And one of the reasons why I decided against, um, you know, pursuing uh, a career in that direction is because the expectations are cr- crazy, and they also kind of d- expect you to be able to do, you know, reasonably uh, significant retouching on yeah. set as well. It's like, 
you know, it's like, look, dude, this, this, this shoot is not about retouching. The shoot is about capturing. It's a right. capture session, not a retouch session. Yeah. You know, I can obviously I can clone out like a tattoo or a, or a speck of dust or a weird thingy here, but I'm not going to make, you know, th- these guys are like making the girls skinny and, you know, stretching their legs out and yeah. you know, doing all that annoying stuff that you see on fashion, you know, blah, blah. And I, I don't know. It just didn't it didn't speak to me. You know, I, I can't really get into it. I agree. All right. So, yeah. look, hey, we did our first request. Yay. That was a More, good one. That's all right. Yeah. yeah. So uh, if anybody else has any questions, any comments, you're going to tell us what we said wrong. Twitter, I'm um, at Bill Wadman. You are at, at Dan Gottesman. Right. And we have a new one for ourselves. Oh, that's right. There's a new Circuitous Conversations Twitter account. Okay. Which and is? It, uh, what is it called? At CircConv? No. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's at CircConv. <laughs> C-I-R-C-C-O-N-V. Yep. We might want to, I was thinking we should check and see if like, CC podcast is available or something. Yeah, we could try that. Uh, you can also look for circuitous Bill and Dan. Yeah, that's the that's like the name. And we so are uh, and we're working on a new site that'll hold all this stuff. So uh, that's coming yeah. soon too. So there's a lot of stuff in the works. In the works. But uh, uh, next week, hopefully, if all goes well, we're gonna have Chelsea, which should be an interesting show. Yeah. So anybody sure. who's interested in electric cars, this is your girl. Yeah, because she's like the series hotness when it comes to that. Word. Uh, so we will check you out next week. Very good. See ya. Take care. Bye.